Everybody. Welcome to Mental Health Comedy. Uh, this is the show where comics, funny people, creative people uh, come in and we practice mental health skills. And if I knew what mental health was, that would be a good start. But my name is Ed Krasnick and I'm Mr. Anxiety 2020. Uh, I'm wearing my sash as I speak. Welcome to the show. Uh, we have a big show today. Today we have a friend uh, for years and, and also uh, a great filmmaker great artist, very funny, always, and uh, he's, a good, he's a good soul. He's a mensch, so it's rare to find those, those things all in one person, and it's Judd Apatow. Judd will join us in just a few minutes. And, of course, I couldn't do the show at all without my partner, uh, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer is a child and family therapist, and she has a wonderful organization called ConnectedParenting.com, where she teaches resilience skills uh, to parents and kids and families all over the world. Uh, also brain hack. And so we don't un really understand our brains. We don't know what emotional fitness is. Uh, we talk a lot about mental health. It's a good topic, but it's really a practice. And it's, it's in the practicing that you actually uh, find out. Time for some emotional shout outs. If you're masking your feelings, welcome. If you get CNN and HGTV together and you're watching Flip This House of Representatives, welcome. If your homemade crafts include an unhappy family in a bottle, welcome. If the voices in your head have call waiting, welcome. If you describe family therapy as a Civil War reenactment, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, Welcome. There's always a place for you right here at Mental Health Comedy. And our sponsor for today's show is the Eckhart Tolle GPS. Always the right turn when it's being taken from the present moment. None of this is real. It is an illusion. The Eckhart Tolle GPS. The power of now. We're in a shitload of traffic. Maybe today we're going to talk about, you talk about the brain and how it can work for you or work against you. Mm -hmm. And I think comedians have that incredible uh, gift of being able to see things in a different way. But it's also very common that comedians have a, a, a great gift to work against themselves emotionally. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about that? And can you talk about like maybe something that that you could do if you're that kind of person you have that kind of brain i'm asking for a friend yeah so um one of the things that happens when you have an amazing brain like a comic has or a, any kind of artist anyone who's a real thinker um that brain can does it fractalizes right so it keeps thinking of smaller and smaller in parts and keeps making connections oh that's like this which is like that which oh and and then like this and so the brain kind of breaks things down into little little pieces which is um which is incredible when you're creating something but it's not incredible when you're in your kind of normal state. So, so you have to think of the potential that a brain like that has and that creative potential there is a shadow 
to that creative potential. And the shadow is where a lot of really creative, intelligent people end up spending a lot of their mental time. And as, as much as the brain can make these incredible connections in a positive direction, it can absolutely do just as well in a negative direction. And it's very difficult to control and stop a brain like that. So when I'm working with kids or teens, I call it having a Ferrari brain, right? So when you, you're you know, a beautiful car, very fast, very sensitive, you know, incredible instrument, but if you don't know how to drive it, you're going to end up in the ditch and the boring minivans are going to pass you. Um, so it's really a matter of learning how you sort of need driving lessons for a brain like this. And once you know how to control it, there's no stopping you. But if you don't know how to control it, you're going to you know, spend a lot of your time feeling kind of miserable. And, and the truth is the, the, the outside world, our outside world is a mirror of what we think about. So what can you, what can you do very quickly? Because uh, we'll bring John on, John on in a second. But uh, what, what can you do? Is there something that you could do in the moment? Is there something that you could do that, to sort of begin the process of training your brain to, mm -hmm. to, to sort of calm down a little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. We'll talk about a lot of them, hopefully, in this episode, too. And we've talked about it in our other shows. But a really simple one that I like is once you notice, and the hard part is noticing, right? So sometimes we think this way. We, we're so used to it. We don't even, we don't even analyze it. Um, but once you notice that you're telling your story in this really negative way, which we do all the time, we're always having arguments with people in our heads, you know, I'm going to tell him and we're sort of doing this whole thing in our heads all the time, or we're telling our story all the time. So the first thing is to stop and observe and notice that you're doing that. And then the second is to take those negative thoughts and do something about it. So the, the frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that plans, inhibits, organizes, prioritizes, motivates, makes decisions, critical thinking, takes perspective, that's an amazing part of the brain, but it gets, it gets um, bullied and bossed around by the limbic system, which is the part of the brain that freaks out and just cares about safety. That's all it cares about. Um, and it's not very intelligent, that part of the brain. It just wants us to do that part of our brain, that survival part of our brain just wants us to do something. Why are you still standing there when this thing is going to lunge at you? So when you're thinking a negative thought, have an image and it could be, I don't know, putting it in a, in a baseball. And so you imagine your like negative thought, whatever you're thinking in that baseball and feel the weight of the ball in your hand. It's really important to make this as real as you possibly can. Feel the seams, right? Hold it in your hand, then grab the bat, feel the weight of the bat, throw the ball up and actually hear your feet shuffle and hear the sound of the bat cracking at that ball and then watch the ball go away. The more real you make this, the more the limit, this is a brain hack, the more the limit brain believes you've actually taken some action it doesn't understand why you're still standing there and then okay. every time and then and then what happens is it'll go away the thought will come back and you do it again negative thought comes back you do it again you do it again you do it again it takes about two weeks and if you can meticulously do that your brain will start to be trained it will start to listen to you so to you talking about using your imagination which is something that uh, our, our guest definitely has done over a lifetime of creative work. How's that for a transition? So, so yeah, yeah, not so bad, but uh, I like that. I like the image of the, the baseball game. There's no steroids in that, no steroids involved, but I want to bring on, um, you know, I can't, I mean, the man needs no introduction. Uh, basically the King of Staten Island now his new film out, but I remember him when he started the Ben Stiller show. Judd Apatow is here. Judd, it's very early in the morning, but 
almost every creative person has a, some kind of a horror film trailer going on in their heads and it runs on a loop. Where are you at? What's going on? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Of course. Uh, I've been enjoying the show and I think that everything that you're talking about is, is so needed, but especially by me. And <laughs> I, yeah. you know, when I listen to you guys talk about it, I, as someone that's been fascinated by psychology and self-help my whole life, uh, and I think I understand a lot of it, I do need simple hacks to just change things. I, I get it, but I really need the thing that helps me change the habit. And that's, that's very hard to do. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of discipline to meditate every day. You know, there is a part of your brain that desperately wants you to not meditate every day. And especially now when everyone's under so much stress, it is easier to eat haagen than meditate. And yeah. I have been taking these two-hour walks most mornings. That's the way I've been doing it, which is I just get up early. I've decided to be a guy who gets up early. Mm. And I walk for about two hours, and that's how I clear my head. And then I feel somewhat sane for the rest of the day, or at least for about four or five hours. And it's helped me. But I, I definitely hunger for a lot of what you're talking about in terms yeah. of what, what, do you, what do you literally do? What do you do? Like, I'll talk to my therapist, and he'll explain a lot about how your brain works and how your fight or flight works. And, and he always relates it to evolution. He's, he just says, you know, you, you, were, you, know, you, were, uh, you evolved from somebody that was just in the woods trying not to get eaten. And your brain is mainly overreacting to modern life because it thinks it's about to get killed when it's really just maybe a note from the network on a script. <laughs> no, uh, it's, yeah. And, it's and, same, yeah. And, and sadly, it works. I mean, this is the thing that I think has been my biggest issue is that my hypervigilance and my terror of failing in my work and having my entire world collapse has led to me do, doing better work. It has led to me having a, a solid career. But when you get home, you're still shaking from your hypervigilance and this you know, low-level, constant fight-or-flight stress that is the, the gasoline in your, your uh, motivation to work hard. And so that's the thing I'm always fighting against. So the question is, how do you make choices <laughs> Because that's really what it is. It's a choice. It's like, you know, in my daughter's school, when, they, when she first started, they, had, they said, divide your, your, yourself up to three quadrants, uh, panic zone, challenge zone, and comfort zone. And then monitor how you feel, which zone you're in when you're doing your work. That's pretty simple, sure. but it could change your life, right? Because if you're aware that you are running on gasoline, and it helps your career, but it actually doesn't feel good. Is there, my question always, is there a way to be an artist, be a creative person, and feel good at the same time? And not have to, you know, not have to go into that, that hyper, like you call it, hypervigilance, which actually is a skill. But can you turn that on and off? When you do come home, what's the trick? How do you, you know, how do you say, well, I don't want to run like that right now. I actually want to let that go. Is there something that you do? Is there something that works for you? You say you take the walk in the morning, but now later 
you're going to be in an editing room and it's going to come up again. What do you do then? Well, what are the three zones again? Tell me the three zones. Challenge zone, panic zone, and comfort zone. You do not want to be in your comfort zone. You want to be in your challenge zone, but you don't want to be in your panic zone, right? So most people are in their, the world is in the panic zone right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking like what works for you that, that besides you said the walk, is there anything else? And then, and then Jennifer, you, you speak to this because sure. this is, you're, you're talking to Judd Apatow. You're talking about like, <laughs> you're a very successful person. Yeah. So, and you have a lot of awareness. So, but you're still telling me that you still have this, this hypervigilant motor running. Yeah. yeah. And I think that part of it is, you know, coming from a divorce family in the sense that I that didn't feel safe at times in terms of getting the right advice, mainly because I saw my parents fighting. So I think in my mind, I thought, I don't know if I can trust the advice they give me because I don't agree with what they're doing to each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. And even though they were nice people going through a, a normal, ugly divorce, as a little kid, I just thought, man, you better figure this all out by yourself because you cannot rely on what they're doing because I can tell you how they should be handling their divorce. You know, as a kid, I was like, well, why don't they just figure this out? Why, doesn't, why don't they just have this arrangement and then all this like pain would go away? But it didn't and they fought for like 10 years, literally. I mean, I was, it happened, it started in junior high. They still didn't have a resolved divorce when I was done with college. And the truth is they never really resolved it. They just stopped. <laughs> they just stopped. <laughs> they just gave up. For me, that became the motivation to feel stable. How can I feel stable? So now the trick is to understand what is unnecessary for my work. Usually I'm thinking, what problem might happen and can I solve it before it happens? That's what a producer does. This is the problem is all of this hypervigilance actually is helpful. I might go, what, what budget do I need for this project? So I don't have to fight with the studio in four months when I realize I don't have enough money. And so there's a thousand of those going on at the same time. And mm -hmm. what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I, lately I've been studying the concept of being in flow and mm -hmm. all this tension doesn't get you into flow. It doesn't lead to writing better. It doesn't get me into my most imaginative space. So how can I lower the stakes and realize that there's a space in my mind that I can only get to if I have no cortisol. The problem yeah. is that for me, I'm a producer and I'm a writer. So the, the tension, helps the producing at times it doesn't help the writing at all it destroys the writing right and so i'm trying to figure out you know how can i meditate and start writing before i think about business or watch the news so i can get into my creative place and my fun place and have ideas come to me because if i'm panicked about the world or something with my family I can't access my imagination. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about, you know, and Jennifer, you speak to this is, is, you know, how you manage your brain, how you actually control, not control, but make choices that allow you to be in a state of flow. And, and maybe Jennifer, how is that? How, how do people who are wired like, like Judd mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, stand up like myself or, you know, the creative people, how do you, how do you drive your brain? How do you sure. learn how to drive your own brain? 
Well, it, and Judd said it, like it's, it, it's discipline. It takes work, right? But it, it takes way more work to not do it. Let me just say that, right? It really does. And, and if you have time to be stressing about all this stuff, then you have time to do things that will help you not stress about it. So first thing I want to say to it, I don't want people who are listening who aren't listen, artists or to think that it, it only happens to people who are super creative. It, it happens to people who care about their work. It happens to everyone. And there's lots of people who have incredible potential and they're still in their basements because they're too afraid to even do anything. They could be doing the kind of stuff that, that Judd is doing and you're doing it, but they're too terrified to fail. So they don't even leave the basement, right? So the brain can, can um, overdo it to the point where you're literally frozen. So the first thing I want to say is I want people, I mean, you have to understand that anxiety and motivation are, it's a continuum, right? So in order to be motivated, you have to be a little bit anxious. But when it's an anxiety that works for you, then you're in that challenge mode. Now you're on fire. Now you're excited. Now you're, you're moving in the right direction. You're in flow. When it's to the point where the brain thinks you're in danger, well, now, now you're not in flow anymore, right? And, and I want you to think of anxiety a little bit like an allergy, right? It's, like, it's so ridiculous to be allergic to strawberries or peanuts or whatever. It's so ridiculous, but it's the body completely overreacting to it. And that's what anxiety is. It's, it's, a, it's an emotional allergy, right? So, and it's something that needs to be managed. If you know you have hay fever, you're not going to walk around in, in, a, in a field of flowers. You're going to take your allergy medication first. You're going to do a bunch of things first, so then you can enjoy the field, right? It's one of these things where you just have to learn how to manage. Now, Jed, you were saying something really interesting because you, were, you had grown up kind of watching your parents who were for sure in fight or flight all the time, anytime they talked about each other or saw each other. And you were also in a state of scarcity, right? I have to keep this together or, right? And I have to do this or this is going to be gone from me. Yeah. So whenever the brain thinks in terms of scarcity, you're already going to set yourself into kind of fight or flight mode. If I don't figure this out, it's over. If I don't get this right, my career is done, right? So it, whenever it's that dramatic in the brain, you're, you're going to trip off the, the fight or flight mechanism because it doesn't know it's a, you know, I don't know, some big Hollywood person you have to speak to. It thinks it's a tiger that's going to jump out of the bushes and eat you. It doesn't care what it is that you're worried about or your daughter, your mother, or whatever. Um, it just thinks that you are in danger and it's going to put you into fight or flight mode. And your frontal lobe, literally the part of the brain that can actually decide whether this is a real threat or not, goes offline. You can't even access it. It's basically gone until you calm down, then it's back. So I want to talk about heart coherence for a moment, because this is really important. And I think we've touched on this in the other episodes, but there are actually brain cells in your stomach, actual brain cells, neurites, in your heart, and obviously in your brain. And the, the heart can actually uh, inform the brain. Uh, that's where intuition comes from. That's where, you know, uh, um, a strong sense that something's going to work or not work comes from. And when your heart and when your head are aligned, that's when you're in flow. That's when you're going to be the most creative. That's when you're going to just be on fire and you're like up all night with these amazing ideas and it's going to feel wonderful. It's not going to feel terrifying. It's not going to be like, oh my God, I got to do this. It's going to feel absolutely wonderful. And we've all been in that state in our own way. So the idea is to get yourself into that state. The other thing you have to know about anxiety is when, it's, when you're constantly anxious, the, the limbic system thinks, well, this is a very dangerous situation, so I'm never going to drop my levels of cortisol because he's never safe. Never. 
he's not safe at work, he's not safe at home, he's not safe anywhere. So I got to keep the cortisol pumping because that thing is going to come back and jump on him, right? So, so how you think and what you think about and being aware and controlling constantly what your brain is ruminating on is really, really important. So Judd, on your walks in the morning, that's the time to be forcing your brain to either be thinking about neutral things, which is the best thing to do, or pleasant things, which is really a great thing to do, but harder to do. And that, that walk every morning can literally be like your, your, um, it's almost like you're vacuuming out your brain of all the negative things that you're thinking. And that's why you clear your head. So when you're on your walks, are you like, are you thinking about the stuff that you're worried about or are you in a neutral zone? Well, sometimes I'm with friends uh, and, you know, we're just chatting in a very pleasant way or just uh, offloading stress. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes I'm alone and I'll just try to keep my brain open for a creative idea. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast. I definitely you know, have read a bunch of books about what you're talking about in terms of your brain not knowing the difference between imagined and real mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. That your brain will develop a baseline. So if you're depressed most of the time, it thinks it's supposed to be depressed. And if you're not depressed, it tries to get you there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you're happy most of the time, it thinks that's the baseline. Right. And I really have found that to be true. I don't think I put in the time to do those visualizations. Right. To change it. Although maybe that is why I like the walk because it's so pleasant to me. Yeah. And I find this very yeah. weird. My whole life I was trying to figure out how to exercise and I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate being on a treadmill. I hate a trainer telling me what to do. Yeah. It makes me hostile. And then during this time, I just started taking the walks and it was like 10 minutes and a half hour, then two hours and yeah. three hours. And then suddenly I missed it when I didn't do it. And it became a form of meditation that served you know, my mind, but also I just started losing weight. And I thought, oh, I guess this is what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> all along. I love it. But see, it's all about perception, right? So when you said, oh, I'll just walk for 10 minutes, then I'll walk for 15, it, it, you're, it doesn't wake up the part of your brain that gets anxious. And in one of the early episodes, I talked about anxiety being like this ridiculous guard dog, right? That just loves you. It loves you so much and it wants to save you, but it's overdoing it, right? It's, it's, it's constantly, you know, buy this dog at first and it just barks at strange looking people outside and suddenly it's everybody. And then before you know it, it won't let anyone near you in the house. And then finally the dog's like, you know what, I'm just going to sit on his chest and lick his whole face and he's going to be safe. But you're on the floor with an 85 pound dog on your chest. You can't have a life, right? Anxiety loves you, but it will not stop. It constantly takes territory. And so the more you give it a win, the bigger it gets. So when you were talking about, you know, if you're in a depressed mindset, it's sort of like this. If, if you're lying on the floor, right? If you're absolutely like on the floor, you can't fall any lower. That's your brain going, okay, you're safe now because there's nothing else that you can lose. There's nothing else that can happen. You're done. You're on the floor, yeah. right? And I don't want you to sit up because you could fall back down to the floor again. You see? So it's this constant. Um, and, and again, it's the brain thinking that it's helping you, but it, it can so easily work against you. So, so let's go back to the walks for a second because they're really interesting. And I would say to everybody listening, when you go on these walks, if you go on them with friends, be incredibly picky about the people that you're walking with. 
if you walk with people who are dragging their feet through the sand and complaining and bitching and, and the stories, that's not good for your brain. That's not even good for their brain. Don't pick people like that. But you also can't pick the person who's like, oh my God, this is great. Isn't this amazing? Because if you're not in that kind of space, that's going to be totally annoying. <laughs> that's yeah. not going to work at all, right? So either walk with someone who's kind of with you on this, where you're kind of checking each other, or walk alone. But we tend to go out for lunch or we go for these walks or we call a friend and we're just telling our stories to each other, vibrating together in this kind of angsty, icky way. And we think, oh, this is great. I'm getting it out. I'm letting it out. No, you're actually not. You can do it for a few minutes. That's fine. You can relieve the pressure that way. But when you go on and on and on about it, you're literally convincing your brain that you're still standing in front of this thing that is going to jump on you. And that's what I meant at the beginning. What you think about and what you talk about becomes your life, right? So if you're on your walk, pick someone who's a little bit more positive or you can, you know, kind of be neutral with each other. Or while you're walking alone, listen to the podcast sometimes that you're listening to, but also try and practice just like you did with starting with walking in the first place. Start with five minutes where you're just walking and you're feeling, I don't know if you're walking on the beach, how the sand feels, on your feet, feel the breeze, listen to the birds, you know, look at something attractive, like, I don't know, architecture or something, a beautiful tree, whatever you're looking at, and really sit there and just appreciate it. Feel it. Let it wash over you and stay there for a second. And then find the next thing and then find the next thing and then find the next thing. And you'll see, it'll be just like walking in the first place. You'll be able to do it for five minutes and then you'll be worrying again. And then you'll be able to do it for 10 and then you're worrying again. And then it's longer and longer until you find that most of the time you're in a neutral or positive space. And then the interesting part is when you get to, and this is really rewiring, you are literally rewiring your own brain. Then what starts to happen is when you've been in a good space for a while and you're with someone who's complaining, you're like, ugh. I don't like this. I don't like how this feels anymore. I don't like watching that show anymore. I don't like telling the, you know, what, what, wherever you spent a lot of time before, you're suddenly not going to feel so comfortable there anymore. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I want to say two things. One, if you're listening to this, you know, when you, when you stop listening or you pause, go to the place that you love the most. If you're listening, go to the place that you love the most and close your eyes for a second and take a breath. I mean, we don't think that those things, they're so simple but how could they be important? Judd, when you're, when you're thinking, you know, we're, we're talking about creating pauses in, in your automatic brain kind of thinking. So if you're, if you're having this, this gasoline during the day, and some of it actually helps you, but some of it doesn't feel quite right, you can say, everybody needs a mantra. People don't have enough mantras in their life. So the word walking will take you back to that place. You can actually say in your head, walking and it takes you back to the walk. And that's, anybody can do that. That seems so simple, it seems so trite. But to notice what you're doing, to be aware of what you're doing while you're doing it, is the key to healing humanity. I mean, I really, I believe that. And I would say to you as a comic, as a fellow comic, we think, you know, everybody thinks that the punchline is where you wanna be. Where you wanna be is the pause before the punchline. That's where life is. Life is, is in the pausing, you know? So, so I would, you know, I, I mean, I would, just, I would just say that. I'd say that to anybody, you know, like listening. And if I could do this, I probably would be doing something different in my life. I'd probably be living in <laughs> India right now, okay? So I can't do it. But I'm saying you because I'm saying it to myself. You know, one of the issues also is uh, 
you know, in families, especially in this time when everybody is so scared and life has been so disruptive, that there's usually one person in the family that's losing it at a time, mm -hmm. which disrupts the entire family. So I might be in the, I'm going to be mellow today mode. And then that just happens to be the day that someone else is in complete meltdown. And then it, it just, you know, we're just in a, in a cycle of who's having a hard day today. And, and it's very powerful because then it can take everyone down. Everyone can get pulled into it. So I guess my question is for young people, how, how are you advising people to do this and to do this at this time? Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually really important for young people because the brain is incredibly neuroplastic, right? Especially under 25. I mean, it is your whole life, but especially when the brain is really developing. So anyone under 25, like it takes 25 years to grow a frontal lobe. It's a long time, right? So prior to that, your, your brain is kind of, is adapting and it's growing and your parent, see, we think of ourselves as parents, but we're not actually parents. We're substitute frontal lobes. That's what we are. We provide this function. We are the frontal lobe for our kids. And then when they're 25, they become their own parent and they have their own frontal lobe. And that's why it's so interesting when you talked about your parents fighting, they were not being a frontal lobe for you. You were being a frontal lobe going, why don't they just do this? <laughs> why don't they just figure it out this way? But when the limbic system takes over, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how, you know, how much you have in life. If your brain thinks it's life or death, it's going to take over. And it's harder for kids because they don't have a fully formed frontal lobe. They freak out a lot more over stuff and they don't have that perspective. So it's and that's why parenting is so tricky because you have to balance the connection and the compassion and the empathy with being kind of tough enough to say, you know what, this, I love you, but this is actually not a reason to get upset that you can't find your phone or whatever it is. Um, and, and teenagers can, can absolutely go off into a complete fight or flight, freak out tantrum, um, over the smallest things and then go over to bigger things. And what, what happens in families, you're right, is somebody's always going off and it's like this whole pressure system. But this is what's important. If, if we're going to try to be a good frontal lobe to ourselves and also to our family, we have to be able to maintain some kind of balance no matter what's happening around us. You know, if you think about um, what's that film technique where like the world is spinning around, can't, the camera can do it and then the person's just still in the middle. What did that, I'm sure there's some fancy name for that. What's that called? Okay, but do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Don't sound like a crazy person. Like it, it, you'll see it in films, you'll see it in commercials where the whole, like the, everything's spinning, but the person oh, yeah. in the center is very, very still. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the image. That needs to be you in your family. That needs to be me in my family. If we get taken down by everybody else's moods, then the whole system is unstable. So work on yourself and then you become, because our kids look at us and they go, well, forget it. If, if she can't keep it together, if he can't keep it together, what choice do I have? So I'm just going to freak out because that's what everyone else is doing, right? Yes, yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, like when, when I was a kid, my mom was very, you know, manic. Or, I don't know if she was bipolar or what it was, but, you know, she, you know, she could be the nicest person in the world and then just like curse you out. Mm -hmm. Just, and it, and it was just super reactive. Yeah. Reactive and just losing it and then like really kind of becoming another person. And that, that's why I got very hypervigilant. But I do think it also, it, 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 for me, I think it led to holding a lot of stuff in and panic attacks and anxiety and mm -hmm. intrusive thoughts because I was so obsessed with just keeping my shit together. 
Right. Because I was like, I don't want to lose it like that. And I think that anxiety at some point, it becomes like other larger problems like weird intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. because you feel like your brain is shredding just from trying not to be unstable. So you're trying Mm -hmm. so hard to be stable that Mm -hmm. the whole thing collapses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look at self-parenting, you know, Uh, so here's, here's Judd and certainly I could talk for, and I have talked for a long time about my, my family. We're learning how to parent from people who are in distress quite often. And that's Mm -hmm. a big, that's a big statement. So you're learning reactivity, you're studying reactivity and you're practicing it for your very survival. So now um, you're aware of all these things. And I, I would just say, Judd, you make choices all day long all day long, difficult choices, weighted choices. So if we make a choice about what, what we think, that really can change, the, can change everything. The fact that I never realized that you could actually reach for the thoughts that you want. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Who tells you that when you're a kid? No, yeah, nobody, nobody tells you that you have any control over any of it. And the thing that I always feel bad about for kids to day what makes us so difficult this is my new theory people talk about social media and everyone comparing their lives to other kids and the stress of that and that's obviously really rough and then there's just the addiction to technology and the attention deficit of it all because they're just tracking too many things so their their minds never get quiet to do the types of things you're you guys are talking about Mm -hmm. but i also think one of the biggest issues is they have too many friends Mm -hmm. so when i was a kid i was tracking you know i had two close friends maybe another three who i was like semi-close with none of us had phones or technology i didn't even know where they were half the time Mm -hmm. and now kids have friend groups that are 10 to 20 people so many of them are in distress at the same time Yes, that, yep. that the kids are a nervous wreck from their own stuff, but also from trying to track how everyone else is doing. And they're nervous for all their friends or their friends need stuff from them. And as a result, yep. it's just kind of like too much. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know uh, how, how you guys feel about this, but when I was a kid, I don't think I ever heard the word anxiety or depression. No. Uh, no. Not that yeah. I'm sure secretly a lot yeah. of kids had problems, but it really feels like it's way worse right now it than is. when I was a kid. It, mm-hmm. it really is. And it, and it's interesting because there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, the, so let's talk. This is so huge, right? What teenagers are going through. And we talked about storytelling, right? What are you talking about all the time? What do you think they're talking about all the time? I have problems. I have this. I got to see my therapist. I'm depressed. I'm going to kill myself. And they're literally all talking like this. And they literally feel like I got to talk to my friend or she might kill herself. I'm not joking when I say this. This is what 15 to 17, whatever, any, all the teenagers and young adults are really struggling with this. So they're all suffering. They're in a lot of emotional pain. And they're all, that's all they're hearing from each other. And you're right, Judd, they've got 20 friends in a group. Now, really, they still only have two or three friends. Like the way that it works is we have two or three very close friends, one sometimes, that we're just very close with, that get us, that we would tell something to, they would tell us, and we kind of support each other. Then there's a ring around that, which are, you know, kind of, you know, friends, but not super close friends. And then there's a bunch of acquaintances. So most kids have these huge friend groups and that they are all feeling responsible for, but none of them are really friends. They're also never quiet and they're never still. So when we were a kid, if you got in a fight with your friend at school, You'd have, you'd, you'd have an argument and then you'd stomp to the bus stop 
when you have to wait there for the bus while you're thinking about it and then you're on the bus thinking about it and then you get home by the time you get home your sister's on the phones you can't even call the person so it's three hours before you even get to talk to the person again and by then you cool down your limbic system's taken over your i mean your limbic system has calmed down your frontal lobe has taken over you've got some perspective now you can really think about it from all different angles and then you can work it out kids are having rapid fire confrontations with each other in record time at lightning speed and they are literally absorbed with social anxiety all the time so they are constantly in a state of cortisol and never mind the dopamine that they're getting all the time from the dings and the pings and the likes and whatever else so it's pretty crazy it's very difficult and the second thing that is happening is parenting has really shifted this is why i think anxiety is such a thing now so it used to be the hierarchy of parenting matched your brain your parents were the frontal lobe, right? They were the, they were the authority and you respected that authority. And when you looked around, adults were in, in this hierarchy, were, were above you in a way. And then kids, you know, you, kids had to listen to adults. It flipped about 25 years ago. So children have a tremendous amount of power now. It's, there's been a, a huge flip. So parents are chasing their kids around, asking them, what, what do you want to eat? And what do you think? And well, you don't want to go to bed. And there was this parenting shift around, you know, it's, it's not fair to give timeouts and it's not okay to say no. And everything has to be a conversation and a negotiation. But that has caused phenomenal amount of anxiety in children. So think about the job of the frontal lobe to take perspective, to focus, to switch attention to regulate all of those things are are and, and emotional regulation are things that children are having difficulty with right now and what's happened is as parents we were well-meaning and we adore our children and we love them and we parented in this way that we thought was really helpful but what we've done is we've taken the frontal lobe away right so we inhibit children's behavior and their job is to push back and find out where that where the boundary is and when there's no boundary kids continue to push that boundary and get more and more anxious and more and more upset. Uh, and so kids are not doing so well. They're really not. And so then you have, Judd, your house is not very different from a lot of houses. Somebody is always flipping out. So let me say this though. One of the things we have to remember is when somebody flips out, if you're like, oh my God, someone's flipping out. We're going to go crazy. It's going to be a whole thing. There's this scarcity model again. We're going to lose freedom. We're going to lose peace. We're going to lose a, a, our good day. We're going to ruin this moment. We're going to wreck this picnic or whatever we're doing that anytime you get into scarcity the limbic system goes oh boy okay this is bad this is this is serious this is this is more serious than it looks um and then you start reacting to the other family members instead of responding to the other family members and then all hell breaks loose if you can say you know what this is happening it happens all the time we've been through it a hundred times this week alone wait half an hour it'll be over right if you can just remind yourself if you can just use that part of your brain that pans back just pulls the lens way back and says, this is the experience we're having as a family. And if we just wait, half an hour later, it's going to be over. And that doesn't mean you don't stand there like a deer in the headlights. But you want to make sure that you are not overreacting to every single crisis that's happening in the family. Because usually, 45 minutes later, it's over. What is the general advice you give kids these days? Like, what are the main brain hacks for kids? Mm -hmm. Very similar to what I'm talking about today. So I'll walk them through in their own program. And I do it every, every, every it's always modeled to the, the kid that I'm working with. So if they're younger and they love Harry Potter, then we use all of that. We'll use themes or Star Wars or, um, and if they're older, if they're teenagers, then it's really just about hacking their own brain and, and helping them learn that what you think about is what you are. 
literally, right? So teach them how to reach for the next best feeling thought, how to recognize anxiety in their bodies, you know, teach them about the brain and then teach them all, you know, a lot of these different brain hacks so that they can rewire their own brain and it gives them some sense of control. And, and you said that no one teaches us this. The pharmaceutical no. companies don't want us to know this, right? right. <laughs> it's much right. easier to grab a pill, swallow something, eat something, right? Mm-hmm. Were you going to well, say something, Ed? No, I, I, I mean, I was just going to say challenge zone, panic zone, comfort zone. If you te- I mean, I love that one because um, you can answer that question. And the fact that you're actually stopping yourself to think about where you're in, what you're in, you're creating that pause. And in a pause, you create a world, you create a lifetime. In fact, my wife is just calling me right now to talk to check on my uh, check on my daughter. So we're having that right now while we speak. This is real time, ladies and gentlemen. This is like a, a documentary. And Judd, you're going to do a film called Walkabout. It's going to be about your walks. <laughs> exactly. I'm not kidding. It may be a musical. We don't know. Um, but at any rate, I you know um, before we wrap up, we're going to wrap up in a minute here. Is there anything? Is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to talk about, Jed, or that we you know that we can uh, touch on? You have a daughter who's acting in your films now, yes, and I, I wonder how that goes. I can't. Well, that always goes well. You know, we have a very good relationship, and you know, we're creative and fun, and I think it's a supportive environment. Uh, you know, to be creative, and I, I feel like as a parent, at some point, you realize that the things that you thought parenting was about. Uh, doesn't cover most of it. You know, like when you have a kid, you never think, I hope they're ambitious enough to get a job. You know, it's a lot of people, you know, where you realize you have to also light a fire under them where they have their own interests, which I, I'm yeah. very happy that my kids do. But that's, I, I notice that it's a, it's a big issue. Kids having dreams and then feeling comfortable going for them and having the self-esteem to sure. try really hard and to and also to know like, Life is difficult, and that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, and I find myself thinking a lot about what have I learned that I wish my kids could absorb a little bit now? Because I remember when I was young, someone, uh, my friend Dave Allen, who was on uh, Freaks and Geeks, who played the guidance counselor, Mr. Rosso, I was like 19 years old, and he was a comedy figure I admired. And he just said, you know, Judd, my philosophy is if this is as good as it gets today, this is great. This is enough. And I never heard anything like that. Because mm. yeah. my mom was just like, no one said life was fair. Maybe next year will be our year. You know, that was the energy in the house. Scarcity. So, yeah. Yeah. So this idea of acceptance of what it is. So I'm always attracted to ideas like, uh, you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. This is you're learning the lesson you're supposed to learn. Or I remember Shannon gave me a book called uh, "Transforming Problems into Happiness," and it was all about a Buddhist idea that when anything bad happens, part of you should be thrilled because you get to work on something. Yeah, you get to fix something about yourself. And I feel like for myself and for my kids and all young people, this idea that things aren't supposed to be perfect that it, it life is a is a mix of good stuff and terrible stuff and you're just trying to be kind and do your best and learn and have as many good moments as you can you know you know like what are the ideas that allow kids to let go sure. a little bit and surrender 
and yeah. not feel like what's going wrong what do i need to do how do i compete you know well if you and if you live feeling like you're holding up a whole house of cars all the time that's exhausting and you will continuously have to do that right so I, this idea of like what's my lesson what can I learn here? How can I take this moment and apply it? Because life has to have contrast. It has to. It would be so boring if it didn't. It's, it's really important. And, it, and it's, it's, it's not transferring that panic to your kids that wait half an hour or wait an hour. And you know, bigger problems take longer. But lots of the little things that, that we stress about all day, if you just wait, they'll resolve. And the right? other Trust thing is, in the waves. what do I tell myself? What am I telling myself? What are you saying to yourself in your head? Start noticing what you're saying to yourself. Then write it down. And then look at it and think, this is the mind of a serial killer. Because, this is, because if anybody told this to me out loud, I would, it would be horrible. So look at what we're telling ourselves, reaching for better thoughts. And the time to do these things, the time to practice these things, is not when you're in crisis. The time to start practicing these things is when you're on your walk. Yeah. That's when you practice it. Yeah. So practice, start being aware when you're feeling good and not when, not when you're only in crisis and you, you're, you're, you're underwater. Our culture, our world is a culture of solving problems. It is not a culture of creating what you love. It's a culture. It's not a, a culture of living in love. It's a culture of living in what can I solve? How can, what's the problem? How about what's working right? Yeah. What's going well today? Anything? Yeah. One little thing. Okay. Let me think it. Let me feel it. Reach for better thoughts. You cannot go to bed watching Breaking Bad and have great dreams. You cannot, you're putting some, it's a great show, but you can't, you have to think about what it is that you're putting into your emotional diet, what, you're, what it is that you're putting into your thinking diet, what, you, what it is that you're putting into your brain and make choices about it. At any rate, I wish we could talk for another hour and a half. And Judd, I'm just going to ask you, please come back because... I, I will. I will. In, Love in, in, that. I will in 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you, well, we'll, we will be back in 15. No, seriously, I really want you to come back because there are so many other things that we can talk about. And I want to thank you, you know, for being so open and so vulnerable and for coming on. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to talk thank to you. Thank you, Judd. Oh, thank you. And I, I appreciate it. I will use it. I'll okay. be following up. Okay, I'll be thinking about you on your walks. I, I actually will be. That'll be helping me too. Um, uh, thank you for listening to Mental Health Comedy with Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick. Uh, next week, a whole other show, but with a lot of familiar themes. So uh, take care of yourself. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. Have a great week, okay? 